My name is Leonidas, and this is Informed Descent. What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 36 of Informed Descent, the podcast where we push back against the culture of groupthink and challenge the narrative. I hope everyone's doing well and having a good week. So, my book, Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory, comes out on Tuesday. Hard to believe it's already here. I've been working on this for the better part of a year, so it's good to finally have it done and ready to be shown to the world. It's a good feeling. And I've been blessed to receive endorsements from some pretty amazing people like Christopher Rufo and Dinesh D'Souza, Jesse Kelly, uh, Wilfred Riley, Charles Love, Andrew Cl- Clavin, uh, Tom Roten, and I'm extremely humbled to have these people step out and endorse the book. I won't, I won't read them all, but Christopher Rufo, who's been one of the main people on the front in the fight against CRT, said, Leonidas Johnson cuts through the madness of critical race theory and provides a roadmap for recovering the American ideal of colorblind equality. He lays out an optimistic vision for the country that unites Americans of every racial background. The book is an antidote to the poison of racial division. Thank you for that, Chris. I really appreciate that. But the book is available for pre-order now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you get your books. And it's also available on Audible if you don't have time to read and, and want to listen to the book instead, which is what I feel like I, that's all I feel like I have time to do anymore. Pretty much all of my books are on audiobook now. (laughs) Life is crazy. Anyway, enough of my shameless plugs. The theme of this episode is fear. And we're going to talk about the Tyree Nichols case and the absolutely unhinged response to it. And we'll talk about the fair tax proposition in Congress and the prospect of abolishing the IRS as well. And, you know, also, I, I wanted to try a couple things out this episode and see if they're going to work for future episodes. Instead of doing a third narrative, I want to do a segment where we talk about a particular psychological concept and how it applies to what's going on in our society. You know, when I started this podcast, I toyed with the idea of doing a segment on psychology each episode. And so we'll try that out today and see how it works. And today's segment will be on Munchausen syndrome by proxy and how it relates to what we're seeing today in our country, particularly within progressivism, in ideas like CRT and gender theory, queer theory, etc. The other thing I want to do is stray away from politics just a bit and start doing a short, lighthearted segment each episode on something from culture, like entertainment or sports or something like that, something not so political. Get away from being so serious all the time. And today, I think I want to talk a little bit about the new Super Mario movie with Chris Pratt that will be coming out in April, which looks awesome, in my opinion. But all right, let's get into it. Narrative number one, the Tyree Nichols case is proof that we need to abolish the police. (sighs) So I think most people are familiar with the Tyree Nichols case in Memphis at this point. The case was tragic. We don't know all the details or what caused the incident, but we can be certain that it had nothing to do with racism as everyone involved was black. But it has brought out the usual race hustlers anyway. 
like Jamel Hill and Bree Newsom, Al Sharpton, etc. And the narrative has been that the institution of policing is inherently racist and white supremacist. And now does not just need to be defunded, but it needs to be abolished altogether or at least heavily reformed because racism. For example, here's renowned intellectual Whoopi Goldberg lecturing us on the evils of policing. When will the brutality finally lead to some police reform from the ground up? Because clearly it doesn't matter if it's a white policeman or a black policeman. It is a problem in the police and the policing itself. You know, seems things don't seem to make sense to people unless it's somebody they can feel or they can recognize. Mm -hmm. But how many times do we have to do we need to see white people also get beaten before anybody will do anything? I'm not suggesting that. So don't write us and tell me what a you know, what a racist I am. Does Whoopi not realize that these things have happened to white people also? The media just doesn't talk about it. But yeah. It's a problem with policing. It's a race issue somehow. And she's not the only one by far. Here's a tweet from Cliff Albright, the co-founder of Black Votes Matter. He says, in answering why the Tyree Nichols murderers were black, many have correctly pointed out that the black cops are consistent with the white supremacy of policing. There is an important addendum. Not only are black cops consistent with racist policing, it is a required feature Every colonial slash oppressive system at some point requires some of the oppressed to participate at a certain level. It gives the oppression an appearance of legitimacy. (laughs) Wow. All right. And here's AOC weighing in. She says, the effort to separate the officers who murdered Tyree Nichols from the system of policing that produced them is palpable. Police killings in the U.S. reached a record high in 2022. That has only been rewarded with more funding at the expense of schools, hospitals, housing, and more. (laughs) What? Okay. She goes on to say, Tyree Nichols should be alive. Charges alone aren't justice. Change is. At least 1,176 people were killed by law enforcement last year. A record. Billions in training, body cams, and reforms haven't stopped it. In fact, it's gotten worse. We must grow out of this cycle together. You know, she doesn't mention how many of those were justified or the massive spike in crime that Democrats' policies have caused. Eh, not important, I guess. Or maybe she forgot. She just forgot. Here's Bree Newsom. She says diversifying the police force doesn't end racism because racism is inherent to the organization of the institution and its daily operations. Racism is what policing is. Yeesh. And then Jamel Hill, always known to deliver well thought out intellectual reasoning, in response to that tweet said, I need so many people to understand this regarding Tyree Nichols. Several of the police officers who murdered Freddie Gray were black. The entire system of policing is based on white supremacist violence. We see people under the boot of oppression carry its water all the time. Oh, these people, man. It's insane. Are, are there no police departments in other countries? 
are, are they all based on white supremacy? Are, are there no police in Africa? Are those white supremacists? It's just, it, it's absurd. And it's incredible, the, the mental gymnastics that they're able to perform in order to come to these conclusions about policing, even when white people had absolutely nothing to do with what happened. It's like a contortion artist somehow folding themselves into a tiny box. It's impressive, really. And they did the same thing in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, claiming it was a huge racial issue, even though not a single black person was involved. It's madness. But it's not all that surprising, because this is the essence of their ideology. While their current animosity is focused on police, this is a microcosm of their general attitude toward America as a country itself and Western culture as a whole. That's why they behave that way toward Rittenhouse. That's why they behave that way toward the, the cases where black people assaulted Asian Americans in California or when black people assaulted Jewish Americans in New York. It's, it was all somehow indicative of white supremacy. They truly believe that our country's founding principles and ideals are steeped in white supremacy and that racism is the bedrock of our society. That means everything negative that happens can, be, have a, can have a line drawn straight to white supremacy. So if they believe this about police and they want to completely destroy and dismantle the institution because of it, and they believe the same things about the entire country, then it follows that what they want to do with police, they want to do to the whole country. And this shouldn't be a surprise because that's the logical conclusion of Marxist doctrine revolution tear it all down and rebuild a communist utopia from the ashes that's what they want to do listen to this we've heard from his mum, uh rowan well she says that she hopes that his death will lead to change i would like that too but there they've just been too many from between george floyd and today Nothing has changed. And I very much doubt that anything will change until we eradicate the source of this problem, which is white supremacy. Listen, the vicious and brutal, unjust. This is why I'm, I'm about to educate some people right now. The vicious, brutal, unjustified extrajudicial killing of Tyree Nichols is as a result of a police system that is built on white supremacy. White supremacy underpins the policing and criminal justice system, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. It shapes a culture that sees black people as less, treats black lives as disposable, and ensures that black lives don't matter. We must eradicate the source of this problem. Did you catch that? Eradicate the source. And the only way to do that is to completely tear it down. Don't let them sugarcoat it. That's what they mean. And they're not just talking about police. They're talking about the entire country. Because the things they are saying about police, they also believe about the country. They want revolution. Now listen, I'm no fan of the government, okay? Anyone who knows me or has followed my work knows that I'm a minarchist and I advocate for minimal government and maximum liberty. I'm not an anarchist, but I definitely have very little faith in government institutions. Now, I have friends who are cops, and there are clearly a ton of great people who are police officers, and I've supported police from the more egregious accusations against them. But 
there is no escaping the fact that law enforcement is an extension of government and suffers from the exact same problems that all other government institutions suffer from and the infinite reasons why markets tend to be superior to government control. So I do have a little bit of empathy for the concept of reforming law enforcement, especially law federal law enforcement, because I am devoted to reforming government as a whole. There have been libertarians who have advocated for taking law enforcement out of the hands of government completely and placing it into private enterprise where market forces like competition will drive up quality. I'm not too sure about that one. I'm not sold on the idea for a few reasons. While I, I do think competition and free market principles could absolutely play an impact, I'm not sure about the efficacy of private policing. In theory, maybe. But I'm certainly hesitant at this juncture to advocate for something like uh, a private policing given the current marriage of corporations with the government, particularly industries like big tech and big pharma. I mean, if we were living in a truly free market, maybe, but as it is, it is often difficult to tell where big corporations end and the government begins. And we saw that clearly during COVID. So you can imagine a company like Pfizer having its own police department, for instance, that's sent out to police neighborhoods or, or whatever, and how such a thing might end up not ideal. Or a company like Disney, it would be a disaster. I mean, would you want Disney-owned cops policing your streets right now? I don't think so. There's also the, the problem of policing communities and how neighborhoods or even whole towns and cities would choose what company will police their neighborhoods, towns, and cities, and for how long, and what the policies would be, et cetera, et cetera, which would require some sort of collective decision-making which essentially means government. And then we're right back to square one. You know, Milton Friedman once gave a very minarchist answer to the question of the duties of government. And he said that the government should be a means by which individuals can make decisions and work cooperatively with other individuals to accomplish things that they cannot feasibly accomplish on their own. And he said those things were protection of rights, national defense, and enforcement of contracts. Things that require collective cooperation. I think law enforcement falls into that category because it involves, or at least is supposed to involve, protection of rights. And we can't feasibly do that on our own. I suppose everyone could theoretically hire their own private law enforcement and have them follow them around all day, but not really <laughs> a workable solution. But the point of having laws in the first place is to protect the rights of the people, right? So logically, that should be what law enforcement is for and what the duty of government is supposed to be about. But the key is to minimize government power as much as possible. And the purpose of that, and this goes back to the founding fathers and the recognition that governments are predisposed to tyranny or have proclivity toward tyranny, as Jordan Peterson would say, but the idea is to minimize government power as much as possible so that you also limit corruption and abuse of power and you limit the negative effects of that corruption and abuse of power if and when it occurs. If power is limited, then the abuse of that power is also limited. This is true for the presidency. It's true for Congress. It's true for the Supreme Court. It's true for law enforcement. And this is always a tricky subject because people want the government to have the power to do good things. 
People who advocate for socialism, for example, have this thought in their minds that the government should be able to provide housing, provide food, provide education, provide equality of outcomes. All of these things, which most people would agree are good things and good endeavors if they can be accomplished. But what needs to be recognized is the government cannot be trusted to accomplish these things or to be trusted with the power to attempt to accomplish these things. It's fine to want everyone to have these things, but you have to recognize that chasing egalitarianism or utopianism requires force and government force in pursuit of ideology never ends well, ever. The more power that you give the government to do good, the more power you give it to do evil. So even if you believe that the government was somehow capable of accomplishing these things, which it isn't, but even if it were, you would have to recognize that the government is predisposed to abuse the power that you give it, and it will eventually use it against you. There was talk during the COVID madness about denying medical care to the unvaccinated, which essentially means denying medical care to people who disagree with the government. Can you imagine if the government had power to do that? The initial power given would have been feasibly to save lives from COVID, which is a noble endeavor on its face. But then that power is abused in the name of ideology, and the government decides to destroy people's lives who oppose its ideology instead. This is the basis for every atrocity throughout history. A a real-world example from history is what our government did to Japanese Americans in World War II. It never should have had the power to do things like that. But people were scared and they allowed it. Fear is a wonderful motivator and an effective means of manipulation. But the ultimate point is that the government should not be blindly trusted and its powers should be minimized and limited. That includes law enforcement to an extent. But not because it's racist and white supremacist but because the government in general is predisposed to corruption and abuse of power. And just like the government as a whole, police have power to do good. But the more power that they have, the more power bad cops have to do awful things. And that's just the reality. This doesn't mean that we should abolish police either, though. I honestly don't think it's even possible to abolish police unless we're going to live in anarchy. Because you have to replace it with something, right? If we're going to have laws, then there has to be a way to enforce those laws. And the people who get tasked with enforcing the law are therefore, by definition, law enforcement. You can call them community patrol, social workers, or whatever harebrained idea you come up with. But the end result is going to be the same. They will be law enforcement entities and they will operate like law enforcement entities who, if there are no external forces like market forces, for example, to incentivize positive behavior, then they will also be prone to corruption and abuse. This is human psychology 101. You know, I'm reminded of the Stanford prison guard experiment that was done in 1971, where experimenters randomly separated participants into guards and prisoners. And the people who were guards became cruel and tyrannical toward the prisoners. And the prisoners became depressed and disoriented. 
I've also talked on the podcast before about the book Ordinary Men by Christopher Browning, which tells the story of Reserve Police Battalion 101 in Nazi Germany that was made up of regular, everyday, middle-aged men who were not even Nazi fanatics who ended up being involved in mass killings of Jewish people, including having them shipped off to death camps and also shooting them themselves, including women and children. The scariest thing about it is that these were not inherently evil people. They were not psychopathic monsters hell-bent on murder and mayhem. They were normal people, given power over other human beings, which led them to do monstrous, horrific, unspeakable things. What that shows is how susceptible to evil human beings are, no matter how good of a person you think you are. And, and this is one of the problems, I think, with progressive thought. One of the problems of many. The idea that you are somehow morally infallible and righteous and morally superior. And because of that, you should be given power and control over other people and dictate how they live their lives or punish them if they don't adhere to your particular ideology, which has been the basis for just about every historical atrocity. When police abuse their power... This is not an indictment of police. It is an indictment of human nature and an indication that maximizing individual liberty should be a priority because no human being should be trusted with having too much power over another human being. Anywhere you see human beings exerting substantial power over other human beings, you will inevitably see corruption and abuse of power. Inevitably. The goal of society is in regards to government, should be to try to limit the effects of that as much as possible, which means limiting government itself. Now, another associated issue here is the effect of activists. After George Floyd, activists demanded radical change to law enforcement and made it insanely difficult for police departments and the officers within those departments. And actually, it really started after Ferguson and Michael Brown, and as a result, almost nobody wants to be a police officer anymore. So police departments around the country are dealing with officer shortages and a shrinking pool from which to draw from. And that means that it's much more difficult for them to hire qualified police officers, which means a decline in quality. Officer Daniels, a well-known officer who regularly posts police-related content on social media, said that he has a personal friend in the Memphis Police Department who said that this is exactly what happened there. He says, I hope you all can read between the lines when I say what I'm about to say. I have a close friend within the department who informed me that all five officers are fairly new to the department and were hired by the city because they felt like the hiring standards for the, for the department were too strict. If you can't read between the lines, this is what defund the police looks like. Unqualified candidates who should not become cops become cops and get def defunded training. Fund the police and raise the bar back up on our hiring standards immediately, or this will certainly continue. End quote. So, if he's right, and that's true, then not only did the activists in the city of Memphis not fix the problem they purportedly intended to solve, but they created new, worse problems. This is, yet again, another feature of government. And it happens all the time. 
no matter what topic you're talking about. The problems inevitably get worse. And these activists, man, they, they just don't think things through. Everything is myopic and emotionally driven. There's no thinking about the ripple effects that a certain policy or position will have. All they care about is the short term, the emotional satisfactory results. They don't think about or care about the unintended consequences that will result, many of which are highly predictable. I had a friend tell me that Ohio University, which is my alma mater, is training its student employees to not call the Ohio University Police Department unless as a last resort. They're being trained to not call the police, their own police department, because it, quote unquote, put people of color in danger. (laughs) Man, it's not difficult to see or imagine what the unintended consequences of such a nonsensical policy is going to be. Not only are they empowering criminals and disempowering their victims, but they're also doing the very thing that they claim to be trying to avoid, putting people in danger. And not just non-white people, but all people, all their students and staff. If you refuse to call the police when you should, you're putting everyone in danger. It's asinine. (sighs) People need to stop allowing themselves to be manipulated by fear tactics and emotional reasoning. Think. Use your brain. Be objective. Look at evidence. It takes two seconds to recognize that what happened to Tyree Nichols, as tragic and emotionally fraught as it is, is the extreme rare exception. And the perpetrators were arrested and charged, so there's nothing else to really talk about. The justice system is working, and the truth will come out in court, like it should. But if you look at the statistics, you'll see that police almost never kill anyone of any race. Even when it's justified, it's still rare. We're talking like 0.01% of total arrests that end with police killing a suspect. And that's not even including all of the countless non-arrest contacts that, peop- that police make. So use logic. If, if police killing suspects at all is rare, and we assume that at least some of those are justified, then police killing suspects unjustified is even more rare. And police killing suspects unjustifiably who are black is even rarer than that. It's a fabricated problem, fabricated by the media and by the activists who want to use fear and anger to manipulate people for their own personal gain. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated. Reject the fear. Reject the narrative. Narrative number two. Republicans want to raise taxes on the poor to 30% because they are evil. Fear-mongering all day, every day. So Republicans in the House have introduced something called fair tax, which I think we've actually discussed on the podcast before. But what fair tax is, is essentially a consumption tax that throws our current convoluted tax code into the trash does away completely with income and estate taxes and corporate taxes and payroll taxes and abolishes the IRS. That means that people will be in control of how much they pay in taxes every year because it will depend on what you spend. And necessities are covered by prebates. And 
Like I said, it eliminates corporate taxes and payroll taxes, which essentially means that cost of business goes down, which equates to lower prices, among other things. But I think it's worth taking a minute and playing the fair tax video that they have on their website just so that people can understand exactly what it is. Listen. The fair tax is a tax replacement plan where we take all the federal income taxes, including corporate, personal, gift, and estate taxes, and replace them with one national consumption tax on new purchases above the poverty level only. This form of consumption tax comes with no exceptions and is progressive, not regressive. The poor are not paying more, and the rich are not paying less. What makes it progressive is that all Americans are untaxed up to the poverty level via the prebate, much like your standard tax deduction. The taxes are collected by retail businesses at state level, so the system is more accountable. The IRS is done away with, and you have control over your money and what the overall tax rate your household pays. The fair tax is revenue neutral so the government receives the same amount of money as they do now. And it's fair because you decide what's fair, not them. To learn more, visit fairtax.org. And be sure to like us on social media to help educate your friends and spread the word. So one of the obvious fear-mongering tactics here is that it will unfairly punish the poor. But as the video points out, there are prebates worked into the system up to the poverty level, which essentially means that no money up to the poverty line is taxed. People essentially get the taxes they pay refunded to them up to the poverty line every month instead of just at the end of the year. And tax itself is 23% after necessities. And like I said, no more income tax. You're only taxed on what you spend. Now, you may not support fair tax, and that's fine. You may think there's some problems with it, and, and okay. But does that sound like evil Republicans are trying to attack the poor by raising their taxes to some astronomical number? No. But it's never really been about facts. Always emotional reasoning, emotional manipulation, fear-mongering, always. Here's Chuck Schumer talking about it. This so-called fair tax plan is the craziest yet. It's a real doozy. It's hard to believe they came up with it. It would completely abolish the IRS, no more IRS, and just impose a 30% tax on everything. So here, Americans are worried about inflation, and the Republican Party, many of them, are saying, we want to increase what you pay by another 30%. This plan is dangerous. It's a disaster. It would impact just about every single American family for the worse. Oh no, Chuck, you forgot to mention that no one would be paying income tax anymore and that there would be prebates. Slipped your mind, I'm sure. Here's Hakeem Jeffries to help us out. I'm sure he'll have a more nuanced take. The so-called Fair Tax Act is unfair, unconscionable, and un-American, which is why we're speaking out against it, making it clear that the stakes are high to the American people. And we're going to work to fight to defeat it, expose it, and make it clear that it's part of an overall extreme agenda to undermine working families and the middle class in America in order to elevate the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected as part of some scheme desire to subsidize further the lifestyles of the rich and shameless. Ah, guess not. Honesty's too hard to come by, I suppose. Also, what is going on with Hakeem Jeffries? 
Why does he talk like this all the time? <laughs> Who knows, man? Who knows? I don't know. I, I like the fair tax. At least I, I like it more than the current tax system that we have. I would prefer no tax at all, but hey, honestly, I, th- I think the government should operate like any other nonprofit, you know? It should have to fundraise and rely on donations and voluntary funding of its pet political projects. Maybe we could do consumption tax to fund Milton Friedman's three duties of cooperative government, national defense, enforcement of contracts, and protecting rights. But beyond that, the government should have to raise its own money. Why not? You want a social program? Then you fund it. Sign your name to it. Leave me out of it. You want the government to support Planned Parenthood or something? You fund it. Don't use my tax dollars for these things. That's not collective cooperation at all. That's you deciding that you want something and then forcing me to help you pay for it by sending government agents to steal my money at gunpoint. That's called armed robbery. And that's exactly what our current tax system is. It's armed robbery. Anyway, it doesn't look like the fair tax is going to happen. It doesn't have enough Republican support, which is not surprising. Because at this point, there's no real difference between establishment Republicans and Democrats. They are the same. They don't want any real change to a system that benefits them. But the rhetoric around fair tax has just been extremely dishonest. Nothing but fear-mongering and emotional manipulation. And I encourage you to look into it yourself. Check out the fair tax website and uh, do, do some research. Because at this point, just about anything is better than that awful monstrosity of a tax code and tyrannical IRS that we have now. Also, if we're going to get rid of law enforcement, I say we start with the IRS. Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which has since been renamed factitious disorder imposed on another, or FDIA, is a mental illness whereby someone, usually a caregiver, imposes a false illness on another, usually the person in their care. But they pretend that the person is sick, they tell others that that person is sick, and they try everything they can to convince them and others that they're sick. In my book, I talk about Julie Gregory, who wrote a memoir called Sickened, where she talks about how her mother convinced her that she was sick her whole life, gave her the wrong medications, altered her diet, and made her do crazy things like eat matches to make her sick. Really unhinged stuff. But that's how this goes. They, they do things to try to convince you that you're sick. And they even might go as far as doing things to actually make you sick. To justify the reality. Or justify the false reality, anyway. Really twisted stuff. And man, if this isn't exactly what progressives are doing, especially in public schools... Teachers and administrators are teaching children that they're sick, that something is wrong with them and something is wrong with the world that they interact with. And they're implanting anger and resentment and grievance or guilt and shame into these children and actually inducing mental illness as a result. When adults infuse ideas of racial victimhood into their children's minds, teach them to fear the police that other people are out to get them, and that all negative interactions are due to people hating them because of their skin color? Is that behavior truly different from what Julie Gregory's mother did? When adults teach children that their skin color makes them an oppressor, that they have unearned privilege due to their race, that unless they learn to deconstruct their race, 
They are participating in a system that intentionally hurts people, that something is inherently wrong with them because of their skin color and that they must actively work to resolve it. Is that truly different from what Julie Gregory's mother did? It's not. It is the exact same behavior. Teaching kids that they're born in the wrong body, that they should be able to transition and use different pronouns and and be the other gender. It's the same behavior. And sticking with our theme for this episode, not only do they want people thinking that they're sick, but they also want people living in fear. Fear of police. Fear of white supremacy. Fear of COVID. Fear of climate change. Fear of murder hornets. It never ends. Always fear. They want people terrified of their own shadows. That's not really far off since they convinced numerous people to be afraid of their own breathing during COVID. But the question is, why would you ever want to impose that on anyone, let alone on children, unless you're extremely sick in the head yourself? I mean, think about it. If we're talking about an actual disease, even when a child is truly ill, why would you want him to center his identity around that illness? Why would you want to instill feelings of victimhood or guilt into them over it? That is the complete opposite of what a loving parent or a compassionate adult would ever do in such a scenario. Even in the face of a real disease, children should be protected, reassured of their resilience, made to feel hopeful and optimistic, and encouraged to be brave and strong and to be an overcomer and secure in who they are, not a helpless victim or that they need to be somebody else. Even in the face of a real disease, children should be embraced and loved for who they are, not made to feel guilt for something they didn't do and are not responsible for. Even in the face of a real disease, children should not be used as pawns to further some political cause. If all of this is true for a real disease, how much more so when we are dealing with a false one? What we're dealing with is a cultural Munchausen's. Mental illness is being infused into the culture at large and especially into our kids. We have to ensure that we stand guard against it because there is indeed a deep sickness permeating our society and infiltrating our institutions. But it isn't white supremacy. It's progressivism. Welcome to Leo's Safe Space. All right, this last segment, we're going to take a break from the political stuff and and talk about something uh, a bit more lighthearted, like a safe space from politics, just without the coloring books and and the puppies. (laughs) Just just to decompress a bit and do something a little bit more, more light. But this week, I want to take a look at Super Mario Brothers, a a new movie starring Chris Pratt as Mario and Jack Black as Bowser and a whole bunch of other big name actors. It'll be coming out in April. And I got to tell you, man, I I was always a big Mario fan being a 90s kid. And this movie looks legit. I mean, initially, people had some problems with Chris Pratt's interpretation of Mario from the trailer. But I don't know. And I'm reserving judgment on that because honestly, I think it's fine. 
It would be weird to me if he used the cartoonish Mario voice the whole movie, I, I think, right? Because, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he sounds like Chris Pratt for the most part, but it seems to work anyway. I, mean, I, I think about actors like Josh Gad and his, uh, his, his character Olaf from Frozen. I mean, people associate the way he talks in Frozen with Olaf's voice, of course, but, but nope, that's just Josh Gad, dude. <laughs> like, he, he, he sounds the same in Book of Mormon, he sounds the same in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. He is Olaf all the time. He has Olaf voice in everything he plays. <laughs> but it works because it's funny. Yeah, I, I played some of the soundtrack from Beauty and the Beast for my kids, and they thought Olaf was in it. So... Yeah, it it might be a little distracting, I guess. If you're from, if you're very familiar with Chris Pratt's voice, and it might distract you, but I don't know. I, I think it works. Anyway, like listen to the trailer. Here it is. It works. Also, the animation is impressive. Jack Black's Bowser is top notch. I, I love the bit with the penguins defending their castle. <laughs> that is but a taste of our fury. Do you yield? <laughs> I love it, man. And Princess Peach is a warrior, which I like. Hopefully, it's not some woke feminism nonsense, but we're, we're not supposed to be talking about politics now, so never mind. 
It looks like it has nods to Smash Brothers, to Luigi's Mansion, to Mario Kart. I mean, dude, come on. And I know video game movies don't have a great track record, although my kids love Sonic, so I don't know. But, and I've been burned before by these things. It wasn't a video game, but the, the adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender was, has left a, just a bad taste in my mouth for these kind of movies. Uh, easily the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Just, just an absolute appalling effort. I mean, and I normally like M. Night Shyamalan, but man, the movie was, it was like listening to AOC pretend to be a black Southern preacher. Don't tell me that this is about an abdicate, a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have, who has talked about Jewish space lasers and, and an entire amount of tropes and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single time apology when my life was threatened. Thank you. No politics. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Honestly, I, I just really wanted to use that AOC clip of her channeling her Southern anointing. <laughs> oh, man. It's ridiculous. But anyway, this Mario looks like it might be done right. It looks legit. I'm hopeful. Maybe that's just nostalgia talking, but we'll see. All right, guys. So let me know what you think about the new format. And also let me know if there are any topics you'd like me to tackle at a future podcast. Always open to suggestions. Just shoot me an email at leonidas at leonidasjohnson.com and make sure you pick up a copy of the new book, Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory, which is available for pre-order now and releases Tuesday, February 7th. I really appreciate you. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Leonidas, and this has been Informed Dissent. If you would like to support the show, you could do so through donorbox.org slash Leonidas. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot org slash Leonidas. I really appreciate that. Make sure you follow me on social media at Leonidas Johnson and check out my website at leonidasjohnson.com. And I have a substack now, which is just leonidas.substack.com. And as always, remember to do your own research, challenge everything, and don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. We'll see you next time. God bless.